Did pharma's best CEO just get fired? Healthcare earnings are in full swing because that's where the money is. Hi Fools, welcome to the Wednesday healthcare edition of Where the Money Is. I'm David Williamson and I'm joined by my fellow healthcare analyst, Michael Douglas. Michael, how are you doing today? Fantastic. You know, I wish I wish they would spread out earnings season a little bit. <laughs> if, you, if you can see our desk, if you're watching this at home, it is just covered with paper. <laughs> Um, I think we may have killed a couple small trees in preparing for this show. Maybe even a couple pretty large trees. But uh, we have we have a jam-packed show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna hit on some of the earnings. We're probably gonna spread earnings out over a couple episodes. Otherwise, yeah. you would just be listening to us ramble on for an hour or so, which would probably not be fun for anyone except for maybe us. No, I'd have a good time doing. Yeah, it. exactly. Um, but unfortunately, we're constrained by time. Uh, let's hit the biggest headline though, which is earnings related. Yeah, but. Chris Wiebacher, Sanofi's CEO, uh, got tossed by the board. There were some rumors this could be, you know, this could happen. Uh, I think the market somewhat dismissed them. He was beloved by investors. Yeah. Apparently not so much by the the board of directors, which is probably more important to be beloved by. Uh, as it turns out, yeah, it's, it's apparently important to to have your full management team kind of behind your management vision. Um, you know, this, uh, you know. Chris has done, did an incredible job uh, at Sanofi, and um, it, Matt Herper uh, from Forbes, uh, who's sort of one of the one of the giants among reporting in this space, was very clear uh, this morning when he wrote, "This was a mistake," um, and I happen to agree. Sanofi, under Vibacher's leadership, was the third best performing big pharma, yeah, uh, and shares returned 87 percent before this week, which was the earnings release, and is ouster. It's it's gone down yeah, considerably uh, since then. Shares were down what eight nine percent yesterday, and about five percent today. Um, really, really uh, rough for Sanofi. Um, I mean, Vibacher has just done such a really good job of partnering with folks like Regeneron, yep. which is a biotech that just has incredible growth potential. Sanofi uh, owns uh, over 20% of Regeneron. Yep. Um, that's been something that's really, you know, was one of the things that Chris really emphasized. Well, he really built up that biotech brand. I mean, yeah. they're one of the big farmers that has a large biotech component to it because yeah, of Gen Z. Of, yep, because of his vision. Uh, there were obviously some clashes with, with the board, I think, sort of mm-hmm. operating a little bit as a lone wolf as a CEO, or maybe they wanted more... Uh, discussion yeah. over what he was planning on well, doing. moving to Boston from Paris, where yeah. they're headquartered, maybe didn't help. Yeah. And you know, he definitely clashed with the French government over some job cuts as well. Yes. But it's going to be tough to replace him. Uh, the, the current chairman of Sanofi's board is going to do that on an interim role. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see who they get. There's going to be a lot of pressure to get someone uh, good, but the concern is that they're just going to be sort of a figurehead. And the board is going to really control things. Sanofi was in a bad way before Vibacher <laughs> got there, so it's going to be uh, important to reassure the markets that they're not going to return to the bad old days. Well, and especially I think that's true when you look at the pricing pressure that they're seeing on mm-hmm. some of their uh, diabetes drugs, particularly Lantus. Yeah, not a great quarter. No, no, not at all. And uh, that, I think, since Lantus makes up something like, uh, what I want to say about 18% of their top line, mm-hmm. you know, when you're seeing pricing pressure on a drug that's that big, and a drug that, by the way, we're expecting biosimilar um, competition pretty soon, that's a concern, especially when they've got drugs that are similar to Lantus, like Tugeo, that's supposed to sort of replace the some next of that, gen version. Yeah. Sort of replace some of that revenue. Well, if there's going to be pricing pressure, maybe it's less of that revenue. Yep. I um, mean, we saw Lantus was up eight percent. Yeah. Uh, for the quarter, so everyone, you know, on the surface, that seems fine, except for it's had double-digit growth every quarter before this. So yeah. That's that's a problem, and that pricing pressure is actually it's coming from the U.S. We're seeing pricing pressure on a lot of diabetes drugs. Uh, We're going to touch on that again in the show, but uh, Merck, Eli Lilly, Mm -hmm. uh, some of these companies, now they're not actually directly competing with Lantus, at least not yet, uh, but 
they are facing extreme pressure to get on these formularies. Yeah, so definitely something we're going to want to watch. Um, you know, our, our fellow healthcare analyst, Max Macaluso, uh, adored. Devastated. He's yeah, devastated he, today. He is a huge Chris Walker fan. So um, definitely kind of a sad day here at Full HQ. But, uh, you know, we'll look forward to seeing what's next for him. Absolutely. I'm sure there'll be big things because he's so well regarded. I think so. Uh, you know, he's kind of like the Jim Harbaugh of, of CEOs. You know, if, for, if you're not a sports fan, he, uh -huh. he, Jim Harbaugh has brought the 49ers to three straight NFC title games. He went to the Super Bowl once in those years. Uh, it looks like the 49ers might let him go after this year, despite all that success, just because he's so hard to work with behind the scenes. It, sure. it may be a similar thing where they're thinking maybe they can get, you know, 80% of the success with 20% of the hassle. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, getting rid of a, a highly talented executive, um, you know, it's, it's tough to replace, and it'll be interesting to see who chases him. For sure. All right, well, let's move on to a domestic big pharma. We talked about diabetes, mm -hmm. um, and it looks like that, that hurt Merck. Uh, weak Merck sales overshadow third quarter cost cuts mm -hmm. is the headline from Reuters. Uh, what did you think about Merck's quarter? I, I mean, overall, I think Merck's treading water, really, until uh, Keytruda, yep. which is the, the big PD-1 drug. Yep. Um, formerly MK3475. Former lam formerly Lambrolizumab, formerly Pembrolizumab. This yeah. thing has been renamed so often. Um, I'd say more often than the Sears Tower, but that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Um, you know, and it's just, um, it, it's just not that much that I'm really excited about with Merck, except for when I look to their, their uh, PD-1, again, this immunotherapy opportunity with Keytruda, which could be a multi-billion dollar opportunity, um, mm. and potentially some of the hepatitis C stuff over the long term. But, you know, I didn't see anything that really particularly stuck out at me as particularly good or bad. It felt very much like a sort of a, a flat to slightly down quarter. What about you? Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now and, you know, it was sort of bland. I mean, you, you take a look at, uh, you know, uh, Genuvia was, was... The diabetes drug, right? Yeah, it was up 5%, which yeah. is okay, or, you know, um, their ex-U.S. sales of Remicade was up 5%. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Vitorin and, and Zedia were down. But you're right. This is a, Merck is now largely a PD-1 story. So yep. Bristol is in the same boat. Investors yep. are expecting a lot about this. This is really what's driven growth over time. Merck does have other interesting drugs in the mm -hmm. pipeline. It does. Uh, they have a base inhibitor for Alzheimer's. It'll be interesting to see if uh, the base inhibitors have more success than previous attempts. Right. Uh, new class of drugs. Uh, but I, I think you're right about the treading water uh, for the time being. Uh, and it, this is sort of how it is in, in pharma. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes you know, these big drugs to, to move the needle. So you, you, these stocks tend to sort of surge and then flat and surge and then flat. So exactly. um, it, it'll be one to watch, but, but right now probably a little bit of a slower period uh, until, until uh, we get more news on Keytruda. Exactly. All right, well, let's move on to Pfizer, which yep. I think had a little more interesting of a quarter. Mm -hmm. um, they beat, so they're doing better than our first two, uh, <laughs> first two uh, pharmas, uh, both on the top and bottom line. Uh, according to Reuters, there were there were mum on future deals. They they didn't rule it out mm -hmm. uh, essentially, uh, but the massive share buyback they're initiating makes me think that they are probably not going to invert anymore. I think that's that's reasonable enough. And I mean, of course, it makes sense to leave the door open. But when you even consider the fact that you know AbbVie just pulled out of their merger with Shire because of the the tax implications, and AbbVie hadn't emphasized nearly as much as Pfizer yep. how much the tax thing mattered. AbbVie was like, well, you know, taxes, that's a nice kicker, but it's really about the pipeline. Then when you took out the, the taxes, they were suddenly like, well, actually, no, it, it really yeah. was the taxes. <laughs> Pfizer, on the other hand, is like, 
taxes are a big deal. So, yeah. you know, I we'll have to see how a lot of this sort of rulemaking and kind of the the legal issues around it ultimately sort out. But if it ends up standing, and if you know Pfizer ends up not being able to find some sort of easy way around it, um, I, I just don't really see what the what the benefit to them is going to be. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Uh, anything stand out to you in terms of Pfizer's uh, Pfizer's numbers? Yeah, to, to be honest, not really. Uh, I, I'm a lot more excited about their pipeline, really. Was, and, and of course, you know, top of their pipeline, first thing, Pablo Ciclip, which mm -hmm. I've been, well, we've both been beating the drum on for the past six months, um, which is the uh, breast cancer drug that really could have, I mean, we're seeing from like one to eight billion dollars of sales potential, depending on who you ask. I'm kind of in the, in the middle on that. It seems like a pretty safe place to be. Um, it could be a really transform transformative drug. Um, and you look at some of the opportunities with, um, some of their other drugs, like the PCSK9 inhibitor, yep. um, then I think, which is you know potentially the next generation of statins, potentially, um, and could also be a really huge market. Um, you know, I think there's some stuff to like there. Um, Pfizer still isn't really that attractive to me as a growth story, just because they're still, you know, three years later they're still dealing with Lipitor. Yep. Uh, you know, I think. Is in terms of the growth story, though, I yeah. think part of the reason they didn't rule out deals is because I think they are still planning to break apart mm -hmm. and become more of that innovative growth company that, that might get you more excited about them. Right. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised because they, they didn't rule out acquisitions if they go after a company that will sort of bulk up their established products business right. enough to spin that out or, and stand it alone. Or, or maybe they can just sell off what they have. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they said they wouldn't do that for... Uh, a couple years until they they felt like they had a, a, a good uh, grasp on on what that business was worth, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if they they make a move there at some point. Yeah, well, and and I, I've got to say, you know, Pfizer also it's interesting. You look at the global vaccines; there was actually some growth there. So it's like, well, you know, maybe vaccines actually are maybe there's opportunity for growth. And of course, that's Prevnar mostly. But, yep. um, but well, Prevnar is really one of their top drugs. It and, is. And being able to expand its in indication, that, that Captiva trial was so important to Pfizer. Yeah, so definitely something we're going to want to watch with yep. Pfizer. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for... Oh, no, we still have Gilead. We've got Gilead. Oh, oh yes. This is, this yes. is the part I'm most excited about. I forgot. The big biotech. I love Gilead. Uh, sorry, I jumped in the gun there. Yeah. Um, this is uh, a quarter for Gilead. They missed. Yeah. Uh, really, when was the last time Gilead <laughs> missed? I, I don't know. It's been a while. Um, Savaldi? Uh, you know, not not necessarily where people thought, but there is a really good explanation for that. Yeah, I mean, 2.8 billion when people are starting to warehouse for the for the Harvoni launch, and Harvoni is all oral, interferon-free in basically all cases, as yep. opposed to Savaldi, which is this is the combo product we've been talking about for a while. The Savaldi plus lead iposphere, yeah. um, and and it's the the kind of like even I would say even bigger opportunity than Savaldi for um, for Gilead. Um, you know, that is just been approved, it's starting mm -hmm. to ramp up. So it makes sense that p doctors are warehousing patients and like, well, you know, let's wait till the, the really great drug comes out. Yep. Um, There's no reason at all to take Savaldi w w when Harvoni is available. Exactly. Um, and the when I look at the rest of their stuff, I mean, Truvada was up, it had been flat last quarter. They actually managed to post both a, a quarter on quarter and a year on year increase. And this is the HIV drug that can mm -hmm. be used prophylactically to help prevent HIV. Yeah. Um, and then it can also you know, be used for treatment as well. And it's actually recommended for prophylactic use. Yeah, um, by the CDC. And by, I believe, the WHO. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and I, all in all, I really like where Gilead is. Um, I think the market is sleeping on the potential with this company. I am also a shareholder, so obviously <laughs> that's what I think.
<laughs> pound the table for your own book. Well, no, yeah. no, I, I think uh, I think you're right, though, and I'm not a shareholder. Yeah. Um, I think there is still massive potential, especially because they are first to market. They have the easiest dosing regimen uh, for hepatitis C. I think Harvoni is going to blow the doors off. Well, and, and it's launch. And even beyond that, I mean, you think about what they're doing in oncology. I mean, like, this is a company that makes smart acquisitions, and this is a company that does not invest in drugs that fail, yep. as a general rule, right? Um, and actually, uh, I, I think it was the Harvard Business Review uh, rated uh, their CEO, uh, John Martin, as, I think, the number two most, uh, most effective CEO based on their metrics. And that's not in biotech. That's total. Jeff Bezos from Amazon was number one. So it's like, okay, well, listen, there's well, a I mean, lot think, of opportunity. Think what a job they've done reinventing their company, right? Totally. It was just, a, it was basically an HIV pure play, mm -hmm. a powerhouse yeah. in HIV, no doubt. And and they still have the best franchises mm -hmm. uh, for that disease. But now they are the premier hepatitis C company, and they have, like you mentioned, a burgeoning oncology business. And so I think, uh, you know, I, I I think, you know. Any sort of sell-off or, or disappointment in Gilead is probably going to be laughed at in you know a couple quarters, in five years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, exactly. uh, and and for me, it's very much a long-term holding. Um, I think it's a company that is going to really do incredible things over the next five to ten years. Uh, and so I'm happy to to wait until the market catches up. Yep. To well, I'd say you should be investing over the long term. That's that's yeah, how we recommend it here at uh, at the Motley Fool for sure. All right. Well, thank you, Michael. Please uh, come back next week for more earnings we have, as you can see on the desk, lots of it. Um, <laughs> so we look forward to seeing you. For Michael Douglas, I'm David Williamson, and Fulan.